everyone. Welcome to Views from the Bridge. I am John Fisher, and I am here with the Bridgeport Senior Investment Management Team, Blaine Lepoweb and Ian Hardacre. Uh, we're here to do a 2022 investment recap and also give you our 2023 outlook. Uh, why don't we jump right in and uh, get started? Ian, why don't we talk about Bridgeport's three equity portfolios. Obviously, 2022 was a very interesting year, and I'm sure everyone's interested to hear what you have to say about 2023. Sure, John. So as many people know, we have three publicly traded equity portfolios. We have large cap Canada, large cap US, and a small mid cap, generally North American fund. If we first talk about Canada, uh, we made some changes in Q4 in the beginning of this year. Uh, we took advantage of some uh, the sell-off in the market. So we added names such as Bank of Montreal. We like the expansion in the, in the US. Uh, Allied REIT, uh, we have added that as well because we thought it was trading at a deep discount to its NAV. Those are two good examples of companies we've added in the Canadian fund. In the US fund, we haven't made a lot of changes over the last little bit. We've, we've sold some companies. We're carrying a little bit of excess cash, but cash is a residual of the process for the most part. But we have added a, a few new names. We added significantly to our Disney position because we thought when it was trading between $85 and $90, it was significantly undervalued. And then the small mid cap fund, as many people are aware, had a great year last year. We had unprecedented, the team had an unprecedented amount of takeovers with seven takeovers in the fund. Uh, usually if you have one or two, it's considered a good year, but we had seven last year. So the small mid cap fund, uh, drastically outperformed the Russell 2000. Uh, so we made some changes in that fund as well. For example, in Q4, we added BBU, Brookfield Business Partners, thinking it was trading at a significant discount to what its uh, net asset value, and I think will be proven right over time. Uh, we took advantage of uh, the sell-off in the payment space, uh, global payments to the fund, and also a company, an HVAC uh, uh, company that trades in the US, Watsco, which is had a great track record over time. So we've been making changes in the funds, not a lot of them, uh, but we have been making some for sure. One thing I think we hear a lot about is as it relates to Canadian large caps is just the extremely heavy energy component that the TSX index has. How do you handle that sort of managing the like Bridgeport Canadian large cap fund? Just the fact that you know the benchmark index has such a heavy energy component. Yeah, no, good question. One of the challenges of uh, managing Canadian money or Canadian funds over the last number of years has been the concentration of the index. So if you look at the TSX, it's almost 50% in two sectors. So financials are 32, give or take, and then energy is about 17, 18. So those two sectors represent 50%. I mean, we stick to the fundamental bottom-up approach, so we won't invest in something unless we see a risk-return trade-off that's appropriate. Uh, we have right now a reasonably positioned in financials. So financials are a significant amount of the fund, uh, not as much as the index weight, but the financials in Canada uh, represent pretty good value and they're good businesses. We do have some energy exposure, but it is, it is below uh, the 18% that I mentioned earlier that's in the index. But there's opportunities. I mean, Canada has good energy companies. It's just how you model and what you think is going to happen with the price of oil and the price of gas. But we do have some exposure there, but it is, as I mentioned earlier, below uh, what the market weight is. Sure. Staying um, with the Canada theme, or maybe I'll put you on the spot here a little bit, Ian. 
Um, you know, last year was one of the first years in a long time that the stock market here in Canada outperformed the U.S. market. Um, what do you see going forward into 2023? Do you think that outperformance will sort of continue or do you think uh, we'll see like a bit of a reversal? Yeah, well, good question, John. I mean, I think it's hard to predict the markets. Uh, having said that, you know, I've done this for many years and it seems like every handful of years Canada outperforms when one indice or one subsector outperforms versus the U.S. My general view is that uh, the more stocks you have to pick from, the better off overtime performance would be. So people do need exposure to uh, stocks and investments outside of Canada. Uh, and that's why we have the U.S. fund and the small mid-cap fund. But it is good to have exposure to Canada, especially when you think of uh, current uh, currency yeah. and currency exposures. And most Canadians are obviously exposed mainly to Canadian dollars, so they should have an investment yeah. in the Canadian fund as well. Switching gears a little bit, looking at the U.S. market, obviously uh, until last year we, you know, we saw the so-called FANG stocks: uh, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. Um, really drive the market forward and were responsible for a lot of that U.S. out, uh, you know, that U.S. outlet performance that um, I was speaking of. Last year, obviously, was sort of the exact opposite. They they all kind of fell off a cliff, most of those companies. Um, what do you see going forward uh, for the FANGs? Because obviously, they're, you know, they're still a fairly significant chunk of the U.S. Uh, S&P 500, although certainly not as big as they were before. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, when you look at those companies, they're all, for the most part, good companies. They generate, for the most part, free cash flow. Um, so they are generally good businesses without getting too specific. Having said that, in my view, it's unlikely that they'll be the next leadership group. Uh, I think for the most part, we can talk about them individually, but like the, the leadership group going forward will not be the FANG stocks. It probably won't be technology. It'll be another, it'll be another group of companies or another few companies as well. So we have a few investments in them and I'm optimistic on, on them, but I don't think that they'll be the leadership group going forward. Right, right, okay, thanks. Getting back to the small and mid cap fund, maybe you can talk a little bit about the overall investment philosophy there, how you select stocks for that fund. Um, and obviously there's a whole market discussion going on now about growth versus value and how you see that applying to the small and mid cap fund. Sure, John. So just first on the small mid-cap fund, it, it's about 25 stocks. Our large cap Canada and large cap U.S. funds are 20 stocks, but the small mid has a few more stocks in it, but it's still very concentrated. Uh, the investment style is similar to other funds. are looking for growth companies at value prices, so finding high-quality businesses, generating free cash flow that the market underappreciates. The one difference in the small mid-cap fund is, is that we have such a large universe to pick from. And really, when you look at the market caps, it can go from 100 million uh, in, in, on the low end to in the, on the US side of that fund up to over $10 billion. So the universe is massive. So it really is a stock picking fund. Uh, it, right now it's structured about 60% Canada, 40% US, but it, the, the goal really is to have it about 50-50 Canada, US. And I think that explains why we had so many takeovers last year, is that with seven takeovers, it really shows this, the stock picking element of it uh, versus big index weights that you'd see at sort of the large cap US fund where large weights can move the index. This is just purely about stock picking. Sure, for sure. 
Um, are there any areas of the small and mid-cap market that you like to avoid or that you're you know, particularly careful with? Uh, the fundamentals of the, of the companies are obviously the most important. So all the companies generate free cash flow. Uh, they have management teams that have been there for a while. Uh, we don't have any resource companies per se on the materials side. We do have a little bit of energy exposure, but that's more on the royalty side. Uh, so we don't really feel like we need to be in any sector or any any part of the market. It's just really uh, different, varied businesses. The one key thing about it is of the 25 names, they need to be different ideas. Uh, they need to have, draw, be driven by something that's different on each separate name. So it's 25 unique ideas. Right, right, makes sense. Boy, Ed, why don't we talk a little bit now about Bridgeport's three private asset funds. One of the things I think we really take for granted at Bridgeport is how sort of unique those three private asset fund uh, offerings really are. Maybe you could start off talking a little bit about that. Thank you, John. Indeed, these are very unique uh, funds uh, which uh, provide investors with uh, access to globally diversified institutional caliber um, private strategies in three different categories. Uh, private credit and income, uh, private equity venture, and private real estate. And these are packaged in a fund structure that is very easily accessible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really the key is the easy to access nature of these private asset fund vehicles. And that most private asset fund vehicles historically, you know, were, were meant for institutional investors that were writing a very large check. Uh, that had also sophisticated treasury functions because the, the, the typical private asset fund uh, an institution makes a you know uh, sort of makes like a commitment to the fund and that kind of commitment of dollars gets drawn down in tranches over three four or five years which you know is perfectly acceptable for a larger institution but it's, it's very complicated for an individual investor to manage their own personal kind of money where they have to write checks out every quarter to meet a fund commitment, while possibly at the same time they're getting distribution checks back that they have to figure out how to reinvest. And at the same time, have to figure out, well, how do I get um, real diversified exposure, say, within private equity or within private real estate on a global basis when every institutional fund manager I'm talking to is looking for a minimum check of two, three, four, five, even sometimes um, 10 or more million dollars, it takes a lot of capital. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've always looked at those funds as um, you know really providing meaningful, global, diversified exposure, but in a fund structure where um, you know our investors can access with a relatively small check and without having to deal with all the complexity of fund contributions and fund distributions, while also, uh, if it's relevant to them, also getting RSP eligibility on the fund, whereas many of the underlying closed-end fund structures that we invest in and that exist in the private asset world um, are not actually registered account eligible. So I think the funds solve a number of challenges in, in the private asset world. Um, I agree. Um, why don't we move though and talk about some of the specifics in each of the three funds in terms of what happened over 2022 and what you expect in 2023. Um, perhaps we can start off with the Bridgeport Alternative Income Fund, which is our, uh, is our private credit oriented fund, uh, as you mentioned. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about 
2022, uh, what uh, worked well and, and what you expect going into 2023? Sure. So the uh, Bridgeport Alternative Income Fund uh, had a good year in 2022, not as strong as 2021. And this is a uh, large, but it beat uh, all of its uh, public and private, uh, private credit sort of benchmarks. Um, the fund had a mid-single-digit positive returns in the year, uh, mainly driven by private strategies such as commercial, uh, commercial kind of real estate credit, uh, corporate credit, uh, mezzanine lending, uh, and other strategies that benefit from not uh, marking to market. Whereas detractors from performance were strategies that they are private in nature, but tend to uh, follow. Uh, how broader interest rate and, and mark public markets uh, go. So they have perhaps marked to market their, their book of loans lower. However, we've seen no losses and we expect uh, 2023 to be a much stronger year because this is a higher rate environment right now. Uh, all the existing loans are, uh, again, uh, we've had very constructive conversations with underlying managers and they are uh, expecting to be repaid in full. And then on new loans, uh, they are just yielding, uh, they're coming in at higher price right. for borrowers. Sure, everything's kind of moved up with the overall increase uh, in interest rate levels and with inflation rates. So is it fair to say overall your expectation is sort of over the near to midterm, the return should be higher from the fund just because of yeah. higher interest rate levels and we're capturing those slowly? Certainly, and I think this is a very good opportunity for this fund. Uh, starting yeah. sort of at the end of last year and uh, going forward. There's a lot of niche um, credit strategies in in the fund uh, that are very esoteric and interesting. Do you have a favorite strategy? It's hard to pick a favorite one, <laughs> but we, we have, because see, we have more than 30 uh, investments across uh, almost you can say almost 20 different verticals in the private uh, sort of credit or income markets. And they range, right? they range from uh, commercial real estate lending and uh, corporate, private corporate credit, and then all the way uh, to more esoteric and niche things like uh, farmer royalties, music royalties, uh, agriculture uh, lending, rail car finance. Right. So personally, if I, if I have to pick a favorite strategy is uh, Portfolio finance, yeah. yes. Uh, it's just these uh, these managers specifically target uh, 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 underserved space, so they are able to extract very good terms, uh, and and hopefully uh, very good safety features uh, when making these investments. Uh, meanwhile, clipping a, a very strong return, often in the low teens. Right, and so. Um just for uh, people watching this, that's the business of really financing private equity fund portfolios and fund interests so that uh, you either have like a preferred share interest or, or a loan against the portfolio of private equity backed yeah. companies with that sort of equity cushion um, junior to the investment that our fund is indirectly exposed to. Correct, and right. it could be for a variety of reasons. A manager may need uh, more money in a in a fund that's already been raised, so they cannot raise more money. So they uh, they need further capital to improve and work more on their portfolio of underlying investments. 
they may need to uh, provide an exit to uh, to existing LPs or other sort of so financial support to kickstart a new fund. Sure. Yeah. sure. Why don't we move on and talk about the Bridgeport Private Equity Opportunities Fund? Um, and you can sort of give us a little bit of a high-level overview there too, as well as you know, sort of how things went in 2022 and what you see going into 2023. There's a lot of talk about private equity in the news these days, so I'm sure everyone will be interested to hear yeah. about that. Thanks, John. So the Bridgeport Private Equity Opportunities Fund has invested in approximately 20 different funds uh, which are invested in call it just under 10 different categories or strat uh, verticals of the private equity landscape they range from typical middle market buyout co-investments secondaries growth equity and even venture um, what has uh, what has done very well for us in 2022 has been our investments in uh, in funds that focus on uh, acquiring private equity portfolios in the secondary markets. Right. Uh, we uh, we position ourselves well in that respect. We we knew that these managers tend to allocate money faster. They invest the money and they, and they tend to buy at a discount, providing some sort of uh, defensiveness to, to their strategy. And it played out very well in 2022 because they were able to uh, make new investments at larger discounts. And so that uh, drove the returns higher uh, in, in uh, last year. Uh, in terms of what we should expect for the future, it's it's a number of things. I think private equity managers today are uh, expecting and are already seeing cracks in the market, lower valuations. So we hope the, uh, the number of primary allocations to buyout managers we've made will uh, will draw more capital and at very and they will invest that capital in very attractive valuations in private companies. So that's one. We also expect to see more co-investment opportunities, which uh, we're very keen on doing uh, more right. of in uh, in the years to come. Uh, and so hopefully this will uh, this will provide for a very good twenty twenty three and onwards for great. this fund. Yeah. That's great. And then I guess lastly, maybe talking about our uh, Bridgeport Real Estate and Infrastructure Fund. This is our sort of newest fund. It's approximately a year old right now. Maybe you can just sort of talk a little bit about what happened there last year and what you see going forward as well. Thanks, John. So our newest vehicle. We've been uh, we've been very busy this past year investing. We made just under 10 allocations to different strategies uh, across the various verticals of uh, real estate. Uh, and, uh, you know, they range from Brookfield's $20 billion uh, flagship strategic real estate fund uh, that's focused on value add and repositioning of real estate assets, all the way down to a niche Ontario-based uh, single-family home uh, rental strategy. And, uh, yeah, we're very, very excited to continue doing that. Right. Before, yeah. That's great. Um, I mean, what do you see in twenty twenty three in terms of where you think the opportunities will be? It's a, it's a number of items actually. With interest rates going up, we're seeing potentially cracks in the market in the sense that uh, real estate valuations they had gotten very high previously, and with rates going higher, hopefully we uh, will be able to get on the ground floor at lower valuations. Uh, and remember, this is a new vehicle. We are just making commitments. So as we're going into new investments, 
hopefully these come in at, at good entry points, uh, much better than the ones that people were making 2020, 2021. And on the infrastructure side, the fund already has some allocation to uh, strategy, to the strategy, but we hope to uh, do more of it because assets such as uh, energy refineries, transportation infrastructure, uh, uh, telecom towers, data uh, and cloud storage, these sort of assets, they tend to be well insulated from inflation effects. Yeah, no, those are certainly very interesting assets and I think we're certainly seeing more opportunities there. So that's, uh, yeah, that's great, thank you. Well, thank you very much, Boyant. Thank you very much, Ian. I think this has been a really interesting kind of discussion about 2022 and what we think will happen in 2023, which is always everyone's best guess. But uh, I look forward to doing a check-in uh, in a couple months maybe to see how things are going. and. Uh, Thank you very much again. Really appreciate it.